Of course, when things change very rapidly, that framework shifts and yet we often still work from that old original model. So what happens in times like this, where all of a sudden everything changes and there's no ability for us to predict, we experience a sense of anxiety and fear. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. So I'm invited to be here today with Tatiana Kasesinov. I think I got that right. Is the host of London Hill, um, a hypnotherapist and also a recovering scientist, as Tatiana calls herself. She has um, a great interest in mind, body and spirit uh, medicine. So welcome to the show, Tatiana. I've been excited about this interview. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you very much for inviting me on, Angela. It's a pleasure. It's a great and great timing, actually, to have you here today because we are, um, this is being recorded in middle of March, actually in very unsettled times across the globe, um, a first certainly in, in my lifetime, um, and I'm sure is the same for you. And so I guess let's start there. What can people do? Because I know this is one area that you have a lot of experience with in terms of managing both anxiety and fear. Um, what advice can you give to our listeners at the moment in the current climate? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to start off and understand what those things are. What is fear? What is anxiety? And they're perfectly normal responses. So, um, you know, we have a mind which is programmed to protect us. That's the whole purpose of having this kind of thinking mind the whole time. And it's a most incredible predictive machine. And it's also very programmable. So when we're young children and we come into this world, we have a few kind of like primary things which are programmed in. And fear is, is one of those primary programs because it's a survival mechanism. But everything that sits on top of that is actually things that we can pick up from our environment. And this is a really clever trick of nature because it allows us to adapt to the environment that we're in. If you can imagine a child that is born on one side of the earth in a particular environment is going to have a very different experience to a child born um, in another part of the world in a very different, you know, from a savanna to an Arctic environment or something like that, if you can imagine. The downside of that a little bit, even though that allows us to kind of program and learn about the environment we're in, is that these days our environments change incredibly rapidly. And we're left with this kind of program that we pick up in early childhood, which is our protective, predictive mechanism that goes, this is the way your world works, you use this as your framework. And of course, when things change very rapidly, that framework shifts, and yet we often still work from that old original model. So what happens in times like this, where all of a sudden everything changes and there's no ability for us to predict, we experience a sense of anxiety and fear. The first thing that I think is extremely important is to make people understand this is a completely natural response. The point is we don't want to stay there. Because if we stay there, it has negative effects on our bodies. So we know, for example, that stress depresses the immune system. It chucks out cortisol. If you think of somebody who goes, for example, for an organ transplant, the first thing they do is they give you high dose um, steroids in order to suppress the immune system so you don't reject the organ. So you don't want to be getting into too much stress at this time. You want to try and limit it. So the first techniques, of course, that you should use are all of the techniques that we know. There's thousands of them out there which help you with stress reduction. And the second thing is don't beat yourself up because understanding that right now nobody knows what's going on and this feeling of unpredictability, of not knowing what's happening, not being able to adjust in our environment is absolutely the worst thing for the human mind. It loves to be able to predict what's going on. So it's a completely understandable thing. And sometimes not understanding that that's what your mind is doing and not beating yourself up for it is a really great place to start. And then practice all the techniques, whether it's mindful meditation, 
I love breathing techniques, for example, just to allow yourself to calm down. And the most important thing is just don't beat yourself up about feeling stressed and even sometimes going into a panic, you know, it's completely reasonable. And the other thing is also trust in your mind and trust in your body and trust in your human nature. We are super adaptable creatures. And after, a, it sounds horrible to say this, but after a week or two of this, you'll find that even being, you know, fearful and stuck at home and, and you know, our environment and everything's changing, that actually we'll even adapt to that and that will become more usual and normal. And, you know, the fear will subside. So... Mm. That's become kind of, the new normal. It will become the new normal. We are incredibly adaptable creatures. And I think also the other thing that's hugely important is, um, you know, we've been told to practice what they call social distancing. I really don't like this term. Um, I think what we're practicing is physical distancing, but uh, we're not practicing social distancing. We're with our families if we're lucky enough and we have the most incredible technology that allows us to keep in touch with other people. And that is really important. If you feel that your anxiety and your stress and even a bit of panic is setting in, pick up the phone, pick up your, you know, um, some kind of uh, way of contacting somebody like this over Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or whatever and talk to somebody because that's super important. That will really help you regulate. We can help regulate each other's nervous systems. So pick one of your friends that you know is quite cool, calm and collected. Call them up and don't be embarrassed to tell them, I'm in a bit of a funk right now. Help me out because that's we need each other more than ever right now. Absolutely. I love that, actually. I think that's a great point. We are physically distancing rather than socially distancing. And I think that we are social beings. That's very much so. And and as you say, we can use things like FaceTime, even Zoom, things like this, where we can still communicate. And we're lucky that we are still in that connected world. Absolutely. Each other. Um, I know that there's lots of um, even new Facebook groups are popping up every day where people are kind of doing lockdown style Facebook groups where they can support each other. And and actually, it's a real opportunity um, to do joint meditations and prayer yes. things like that. Yes. That's very powerful when we come together with that energy. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of those um, group meditations going on. And there's also, I don't know if you know of people like Dr. Joe Dispenza or Lynn McTaggart. They're doing these global healing meditations. Sometimes it's not nice to join up some with something like that because it puts you in a much more active role so you feel like you're kind of actively doing something against a, a negative situation and that puts you in a feeling of, of empowerment and so not you're not only doing something good for the world you're also doing something good for yourself so join up find find look online and see if there are things like that and as you said join up and also or even found something ground something for yourself and your yeah. own community absolutely um, I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned there, actually, which was earlier about you, you like using breathing because I know it's something I use myself and it's a great uh, segue into the parasympathetic nervous system. It's a Absolutely. great fastest way to access it, isn't it? So mm-hmm. let, let's start, dig in a little bit there because breath work is such a broad term and it means different things for different people. Um, what is the breath work technique that you find is most calming to the nervous system and that you found yourself and your clients there's there's a million different techniques out there and it's it's always a case of you use what's what you find is best for you and taste differ but the beeline to being able to kind of it's uh increase your vagal tone to actually switch the vagus nerve from a from a sympathetic stress flight fight response over into a parasympathetic rest and repair response is to engage in any breathing technique which is rhythmic and slow and preferably where the inhale is shorter than the exhale. Mm. So if you are literally caught in a state where you notice that you're feeling very fearful and you're in a panic, this is even a great thing to do before a meeting or an interview or anything that's stressful, is just to take a couple of minutes Breathe in, you can do it for something like a count of four or six, whatever comfortable for you, and then exhale slowly and make the exhale longer. So if you're breathing in for four, exhale for six. If you're breathing in for six, exhale for eight. And try and do that rhythmically for a period of two or three minutes and just kind of while you do it, monitor yourself and you'll notice that your system starts to calm down. Because when we're stressed, 
And in a moment of panic, we tend to increase our breathing, becomes very shallow and it comes up into the top of the lungs and it becomes fast and very kind of erratic. So when you do this slow breathing with a longer exhale, you're telling your mind and you're telling your nervous system, it's okay to relax, I'm safe. Mm. Because you wouldn't do that if you were being chased by the saber-toothed tiger as the yeah everybody's favorite analogy these days (laughs) so i find that the most effective simple method for people have no experience with breathing techniques do you recommend the hold or not so some people will talk about doing kind of six in hold for six and then eight for out or um i think i think for somebody who's not practiced with breathing techniques that's too much to ask because sometimes actually the holding part gives you if you're really anxious Mm. and almost in a state of panic that hold can make you feel like you're not getting any air Mm. and that can actually increase your sense of panic so for somebody who's not practiced with breathing techniques and you're actually in a state of anxiety just the simple inhale exhale Keep it slow, keep it rhythmic, and make the exhale slightly longer. I think it's the easiest method. For people who are not kind of completely wound up right now at this minute or have a bit of experience with breathing techniques, things like the Wim Hof breathing technique is fantastic. Um, I also interviewed uh, Niraj Naik, who is also a breathing expert. Um, If you go over to my website, there's the interview with him and one of his breathing protocols is there free for anyone to Ah, yes, I've had Niraj on the show. He's He's great. um, Yeah, exactly. Soma breathing. Exactly. And And my Hoffask, isn't it? Exactly. And one of my all time favorites, I have to say, is from the HeartMath um, Institute. So Mm. you can go over to heartmath.org or heartmath.co.uk if you're on this side of the pond. And I think that they have their simple um, breathing techniques available for free for anybody, which is like more heart focused, heart centered breathing. um, And that allows you to de-stress and also kind of get into a better feeling space as well it's not just simply to calm down it just actually makes you feel better as well yeah i think the heart math um, institute they've got some very powerful techniques there actually They're fabulous and techniques you can use them even in the midst of a heart attack and actually exactly yeah, it's um it's very impressive and actually um, one of the thing i love about their stuff to be honest is that they also have whole programs which are dedicated to um people who are in the helping professions so firefighters nurses doctors all of those kind of people are under immense stress and strain at the moment and uh if anybody like that is having a couple of minutes to listen into your podcast highly recommend you go over to heart mass and check out their programs because for first responders i think it's an excellent idea to learn how to manage stress now more than ever yeah absolutely i completely agree i mean it's interesting because i work with a lot of um kind of top ceos and things and and some of them have you know initially they believe that the stress is actually what got them to where they are today um and that they've kind of almost fed off that stress but as as they learn you know you can only do that for so long before you really do start to burn yourself out quite quickly and i think um in times like this where there's so much change not just the risks in terms of people are anxious about their own health but also about what pressure it's going to put on the economy on their businesses on their family um taking that time because breath work is actually surprisingly quick as well it only takes sort of three to five breaths for that that calm to set in it does yeah it's super effective and you know stress is an interesting thing i mean there is such a thing as good stress it's it's known as as hormetic stress which you know it, it builds resilience but it's the kind of stress that you have when you're faced with something which you view not as stressful but something that you view as a challenge and that's a little bit of a mindset game that you can play with yourself too that if you try not to allow something to um be viewed as an overwhelming task or something which is stressful by nature, but you you see it as a challenge, as a chance to grow, as a chance to improve, as a chance to succeed, then that can actually be beneficial for you as long as it's limited to periods of time and that you allow yourself to come back and rest and recuperate in between because even that kind of stress, if you live on that for long enough, as you said, you're going to go into burnout and nobody needs that right now. But um, yeah, there is a thing is known as, as good stress, and, and, but there's also bad stress. And that is a little bit governed by mindset and personality. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, I know some of the other areas you specialize in as well are around mindset and limiting beliefs. And I think mm -hmm. limiting beliefs is an interesting one because I think that we all have them, whether or not we're aware of them. And certainly from um, the reading and the work I've done, many of these are actually formed under the age of seven. Mm -hmm. um, is that right? And become kind of part of our imprinting. Yep. Um, and I guess the first step is actually in terms of how limiting beliefs might be holding us back is actually becoming aware of what those limiting beliefs are. Um, so kind of moving away now from the anxiety in the current climate and looking more on the, the performance side of things, people can have limiting beliefs around anything, can't they? So they can have limiting beliefs around money, around love, um, around a number of different things. Can you, can we spend some time here? First of all, sort of helping people, Number one, understanding how they can actually get to grips with what their limiting beliefs might be if we start mm -hmm. there and then mm -hmm. how they can kind of break those down. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to, to what I talked about right at the very beginning about the fact that, you know, we have this amazingly adaptable brain that, that kind of only brings us into this world with a few very, very basic programs, which is basically one, survive. And survival for a baby is 100% interaction with the people around it, the caregivers, because, you know, human beings really, until we're quite old, are actually just not capable of surviving by ourselves. I mean, even as adults, we need to be part of our tribe. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly for a child, just need someone to literally look after them. I mean, human babies can't walk, they can't do anything when they first come out. So they're entirely dependent on those people around them. And so in the first few years of life, probably up to about the age of six or seven when the ego starts to form. Children are in a kind of, they start off more in a theta brainwave state and go then into a bit more of an alpha brainwave state, which is the equivalent of like a hypnosis state. So it means they're completely and utterly suggestible. There's no filter and everything they experience goes straight in. We know, for example, also from brain plasticity, uh, neuroplasticity um, studies that the human brain is incredibly plastic. It's plastic throughout life, but it's super plastic at a very, very young age. And in fact, what happens is that everything you experience literally gets hardwired into your brain. And then there's a period of time when when the child starts to get older, beyond about six or seven, where we experience something known as synaptic pruning, where all of these networks that are not used on a daily basis get pruned back. So it's a super efficient mechanism, as is everything with the human body. It's an amazing thing. Um, but these beliefs then can um, arise in these early days, and they're pretty much always formed as a reflection of what you experience in adaptation to your environment. You need to be able to survive in your environment and you need to learn how to behave in your environment so that you get your needs met. And so if you have a parent that treats you in a certain way, you learn very quickly as a child, oh, she's nice to me and feeds me and gives me love if I smile. Or it may be you have a neglectful parent who only takes notice of you when you're sick or when you cry or when you behave in a certain way. And these things get hardwired in and these are where these beliefs come in. You also pick up the beliefs of the people around you, not only the way they behave towards you, but the way that they behave and what they practice and what they say, you start to absorb so that you can feel part of that tribe. So that's where these limiting beliefs really come in. I think it's Dr. Bruce Lipton always quotes the expression of the Jesuits, which is, give me a child until the age of seven and I will show you the man. And that's exactly where that expression comes from because really a lot of your personality is formed at that age and a lot of what you think is you actually isn't. It's just the way you were programmed. The good news is you can change it. <laughs> yeah, now that is, that is obviously good news, but difficult to do. So um, let's talk, for example, the one that springs to mind, I guess, is wealth programming and wealth consciousness only because 
there's been lots in the media over the years of people, for example, who win the lottery and how they actually will return to the same financial position they were in very quickly. And actually, when you interview many of them, when they're interviewed by the press, they're actually told, well, you know what, I'm happier now. When I won all that money, it didn't feel right, and I'm happier being back to where I was. And it seems extraordinary that they could literally go through a few million pounds in the space of two years, but somehow they do. And that must be down to this this programming. Absolutely. But what if, let's say that that person actually you know, had um, regretted that and actually wanted to change their set point because we all have a set point is my understanding of it as well. And so often what we find is when people are promoted and things, they almost sort of know within that set point where they might go up to and then they kind of draw it back. Now, what if somebody has, and it doesn't have to be wealth, it could be anything, but I'm just trying to think of something here that everyone can relate to, is what if we want to transcend what those beliefs are? So if we take that example of money, someone who maybe grew up in a background who money was a little bit scarce, that was in their programming, they couldn't, they couldn't have enough. But now actually, they want to open their mindset to that idea of abundance. Right. How do they make that transition? Because there's lots of criticism, isn't there? You know, with books like The Secret and other ones that, no, you know, you can't just sit on the sofa and meditate. It's not going to come to you. And I agree. It's got to be action with it. But, but how does that work and how do you transcend that imprinting that may or may not be there? I think there's two, there's two things there. First of all, you have to find out what your beliefs are. Mm. So the easiest thing to do is, is to sit down with a piece of paper and actually write down a list of 10 things that you believe to be true about your attitude, for example, to money. So there's a lot of people I work, obviously, in the healing space. There's a lot of healers, um, especially those who go off in the more spiritual direction, who are completely convinced that, you know, money is, is not is evil and therefore if you work in a healing profession or a spiritual profession to be wealthy is is a bad thing and this is a an absolute belief that many of them have so sit down and write down on a piece of paper your 10 you know what do you really think about money what do you really believe about it did you as you said did you grow up in a household where money was the root of all evil did you grow up in a household where you know the only way you can get money is if you work really hard for it um did you grow up in a household where the ideas around money were that you know uh, oh that is only for other people it's not available to us it's not even an option for people in our you know social class or in our environment that's often a huge limiting belief especially in countries like the uk where you know we think well if if I, I grew up on this side of town, then, you know, I'm not going to get money. And also you have to then go on to, okay, what would having money mean to me? So first of all, list 10 questions. What, what are actually my beliefs? And then go and have a look and say, well, you know, what would having money mean to me? And focus on five good things, but also focus on five bad things, because the bad things are actually the ones which ironically are going to be relevant in preventing you from moving forward. So again, for example, as I just said, if you are in a social environment where most of your friends and the people around you have a limited income and you want to become wealthy, what's that going to do to your social dynamics? What's that going to do to the way that your friends are going to treat you? Are they going to alienate you? Are you going to feel alienated? These things are really important because if you kind of in the back of your mind value your social position and your friends and your family and, your, and what they think and what they believe more than your own success, you are always going to adjust back to fit in what they think is the right thing. So you have to really understand the impact of what changing your situation is going to mean to you. By the same token, list also the things that are going to really benefit your life. Then one thing that I think is super important is also check your motivations. Because money is a means to an end. And if you put money as on, and financial security or even the word abundance as the priority, as your purpose for doing something, you're probably not going to achieve it because in actual fact, it's a result on, and a byproduct of you doing something that you love and that you're good at and that you get an emotional reward for and that you feel and experience fulfillment. So I think when you're actually trying to 
concretely go for an abundant life, look at what you're doing and why you're doing it and focus on that and kind of the money will come. In a little bit, that's perhaps what the people in The Secret were trying to say, but they didn't really say it very well. I'm not a great lover of things like the law of attraction, to be honest, but I do believe in cause and effect. And so, you know, if you are, if you'll have to look at your motivations and if you're going for something, if you're doing something because you love what you do and you know that it's useful and it's putting you in a position where you get fulfillment because either what you do or what you create or produce is useful to other people in the world, you have less of a problem asking for money for that because you feel good about what you're doing. Whereas if you're, you know, the other extreme would be if you're kind of like just doing a deal and you're trying to, you know, screw people over just to be able to make money. I mean, nobody not is going to feel good about that, even if they do it. I bet you they don't feel good about it deep down inside. So check your motivations because that's a really great place to start. And then the way to change these limiting beliefs at a really fundamental level is actually to bypass the conscious thinking mind and get into the subconscious mind because that's where these things are stored. And they're the most important thing to remember is that the brain loves what's familiar. That's what we talked about right at the beginning. It doesn't really like change. It likes to know what's going on so that it can predict. And so anything that you're going to change long-term, you need to do it repetitively. So construct positive thoughts. If you're doing things like meditation, or if you're just taking a couple of minutes a day just to kind of close your eyes and be a bit mindful, if you're into things like affirmations, do them regularly. You know, set yourself up a series of positive things and write them down or include them in your meditations, but do it regularly. You need to do it every day for at least 21 days. A lot of people these days are saying that things like habits need longer to form because essentially that's what a limiting belief is or any belief. It's a habit. It's a habit of thinking. It's because you do it over and over and over again and it becomes an automated process. So you need to kind of install new processes and the only place quiet and is to do it repetitively and if you can do it where you know I find things like doing affirmations when you're staring out of the window and you're looking at a tree or something in the distance and you kind of take your thinking mind a little bit offline and then you run this statement in the background and you do it repetitively and you do that for a few minutes every day with time that's going to shift your belief system and your mindset we talk that's to ourselves all the time, say mm. good things to yourself. <laughs> that's interesting. So, so the reason for the affirmation is actually to create the new mindset. Because exactly. I know a lot of people, have strugg- they struggle with the concept of an a- affirmation. Because um, many times you'll be told, you know, um, people will say, well, you need to say them in the present, right? So there would be, a, let, let's stick in a moment, because actually this applies and where I found it when I used to work with people a bit more, I don't really do this anymore, but on the weight loss side, there were, and we can come back to that, there were definite limiting beliefs in terms of people who believed they could transcend the position they were in. But sticking with the, the wealth one first, so we can play it through, there'd be people who would say, well, I can't create an affirmation saying that I am wealthy or money flows to me because actually it doesn't. I'm really, I mean, probably the, the listeners here is not necessarily the best example are not struggling with that or they may be now with the way the economy is going, things may change quite dramatically. But they would find that affirmation hard. So would you encourage people to future pace in that way with an affirmation? Or it, because it can feel unbelievable for some people. You know, right. so if you are a size 20 and you want to get down to a size 10, to say that I am fit and athletic and slim and all these things can just seem so way off. And they are. 
they are way off. I mean, you know, our minds aren't stupid, you know. Um, yeah. And if you are um, a size 20 and you want to be a size 10 and you look in the mirror and you make an affirmation of I am a goddess, it's not going to go anywhere because you just don't believe it. Um, the same thing is with wealth. If you say, you know, I am a millionaire and, you you know, you've basically got zero in the bank, you know, you're not going to believe it. So your mind will throw it out. This is an interesting thing about understanding about the way the mind works. So, Again, studies on neuroplasticity, because essentially that's what you're doing, is you're building new neural pathways, and that's why the repetition is important. But what makes you remember something? Now, if you think about all of the negative things that you think about, um, uh, it's because there's a huge emotional component attached to it. So your mind says, well, I'm experiencing all of these things, but hold on a minute, that over there caused me a, an emotional response. I'm going to remember that because if there's an emotional response attached to it, it must be important. Um, sadly, we have a thing known as a negativity bias. So things that are associated with negative emotions tend to be very easily stored in our brains rather than things that have positive emotions. But things with positive emotions can also be stored. You just have to work a little harder at it. So if you're going to start with things like affirmations, first of all, you need to set yourself affirmations which are realistic. So that really means you have to watch the language you use and you have to watch what you're pitching. So if we stick with the wealth model, I would never tell anybody to sit there and make the affirmation, money flows to me, I am a millionaire, when you know it absolutely doesn't. You have to say things like, I am an abundant person. And while you're saying that, think about things in your life that are enriching to you. So think about your relationships. Think about you know, um, fact that people in your family are generous to you, even if they're not generous financially, if they're generous with spirit, if they're generous in kind, if you have friends who are generous to you, think about that feeling of having goodness flowing to you and keep it in a realm which is believable for you. And you can ramp this up because once you start to recognize that, you do that for a month or two and you really start to realize it and you believe it, then you can start to bring in more kind of like the next level and the next level and the next level. I think it's unrealistic to expect a lot of things to happen overnight. And I think these days we all want the quick fix and the quick fix is not an option sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we have to take it slowly. And if you like, the way I sort of like to think about it is that these neural pathways that we have in our mind, they're like a path in a forest. You know, if you've got a path that's been really well trodden for years and years and years and years, it's going to take a while before that path grows over again with, you know, nature will reclaim it eventually, but it will take a while. Equally, it's going to take you a while to tread a new path. And what we can't do is we cannot get rid of an old belief we can just stop using it and preferentially use another belief so we can forge new paths and let the old ones kind of grow over it goes back to this synaptic pruning process you know if you it's a real case of if you don't use it you lose it and that's true with mm. pathways but you can't wipe one out which means you that's why you have to focus somewhere which is comfortable for you which where you don't keep going back to the old idea and reinforcing that old idea so stick in the realm of things that are useful and believable for you and that's why things like with money you will often hear a lot of teachers talk about abundance and that's exactly the reason why because abundance is something that we can all recognize in our lives even if it's not purely financial and it just gets you into that mindset of starting to feel like an abundant person mm. the other trick i like with money to be honest which is a really silly one but surprisingly again it works and it works again on this kind of subconscious level is to always um have money in your wallet Mm. You know, people don't like to walk around with cash because they feel a bit uncomfortable. So if anybody's still got an old checkbook, which none of us hardly ever use, write yourself a check, right? I think it was um, Jim Carrey, wasn't it, who, who did yeah. that? He wrote himself a check for a million dollars or something like that. And left, million dollars that's and right, and left it that. in his wallet. Something mm. like that because, you know, even if you don't kind of believe it, just having it there and noticing it, 
you know, over a period of time, you'd be surprised that actually that can kind of also slip into your subconscious. But with and your brain is listening. That's the thing. Your subconscious is listening to everything all the time. Much is about pruning. I, I notice it with my children. It's funny you talk about sort of seven, eight years old because it is around that age. All three of mine then suddenly start saying things. Well, I'm not good at that, or I'm not. And you make these judgments, and it's like, no, 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 tell that right back because actually that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't told that as a child. Don't do that because, but you are beginning to develop those beliefs. Well, I'm not good at that. No, but you are, or you could be. It doesn't, you know, it's not that hard and fast. And we do it unknowingly, and you sort of need to replace those thoughts, don't you, with positive ones? Absolutely, absolutely. And is this, a, you know, the, the idea with children as well of enforcing beliefs is, you know, I'm actually not a great believer in this idea of telling children they can be and have everything because I think that in itself is not realistic. We all know that we have different talents and we all have different interests. I think it's important to allow children to understand that they have possibilities, you know, that they, if they want to do something, if they find something enjoyable, then of course, you know, they're capable of getting that. But to give children also kind of completely unrealistic goals is maybe a little bit counterproductive. That's my personal opinion. Um, I don't know if that's a mainstream opinion or not. Well, I, I agree with that, actually, because I think otherwise they can put themselves down a little bit. You know, my yeah. daughter at one point said, oh, I want to be like Sophie Dorsey and I want to be a contortionist or an Olympic gymnast. And you can then actually create a limiting belief afterwards when you don't do it. And I said to her, well, really, is that really what you want? Because if you look at something like the 10,000 hour rule, you'd need to be doing gymnastics for around four to five hours a day to exactly. make Exactly. is that something you want and then they realize actually no maybe that's not really what i want to be doing exactly as you say possibilities exactly exactly it's, it's all part of this kind of gross mindset idea as opposed to the closed mindset where you mm. you don't cut yourself off you you open up possibilities and i think also with children as well as with adults is is that we have to encourage um a lack of fear around failing because failing is the only way you learn how to do something you know, I think we all live in a, in a society where we feel like we have to get it right first time every time. And that's so not true. The most successful people, I'm sure you, you know this better than anybody, are the ones who have screwed up so many times, but they just haven't let it stop them. Um, or they've allowed that mistake to make them recognize, okay, well, that didn't work. Maybe let's try this approach, you know, and, and modulate and change and adjust rather than being completely sort of like bamboozled by failure and saying well that's it I'm no good at this I'm never going to bother again you know? yeah absolutely I think it's that as you say it's that kind of changing and the pivoting the most successful people I see they make decisions quickly they stick to them but then they don't they pivot as they needed exactly and certainly in this market in this economy that's so necessary but so so what we've got here because it's very interesting so we talked about what I want to come back a little bit to the brainwaves but we know that repetition is key. So first of all, we're looking at write down what your beliefs are. So they're staring mm -hmm. at you on the page mm -hmm. and then you start to understand and then write down what you want because the good reasons and the bad. So what are you giving up if you actually transcend this? And, exactly. And whatever that is, whether that was weight loss, fitness, goal, whatever. Um, now, at that point, then we were talking about the affirmations and making sure that you practice those daily because you are now um, doing that synaptic pruning, but you're almost crowding out the old. You're bringing in... exactly a bit like I would do with nutrition. Um, now, you mentioned something interesting, that children are highly suggestible in the early years because they're in a theta brainwave state. And my understanding is with hypnosis, that's what we use. Exactly. Well. And exactly. Joe Penza talks about this because I know he's, he meditates at sort of 4.30 in the morning because his brainwaves are in that state when he wakes up. I think. Actually, that's not the reason why he, um, no, the time, the timing is more to do with the amount of um, <clears throat> uh, melatonin in the brain, because, um, you know, that's that hormone, the sleep hormone also stimulates is produced by the pineal gland. Yeah. And um, so, so he, you know, that's the reason why that time is, is optimal. If, if you want to kind of go for, 
interesting experiences in, in your meditative process. So the timing is not so important. What's important is the repetition, is to do it every day every day even if you don't want to do it do it every day i love meditation that's my go-to for everything it's not everybody's thing you can get into that place you know these days we talk a lot about flow states for example that's not a dissimilar kind of condition because essentially when you're in a flow state what you're doing is you're sort of shutting down your thinking cognitive part of your mind and you're going into this more kind of relaxed creative part of the mind And so you're not destroying everything by thinking about it. You're just allowing it to flow. I think any sport um, uh, person or athlete or even a creative person will know exactly what that flow state is like, where you suddenly get completely engulfed in what you're doing and you're not thinking about it. And all of a sudden you look at the clock and three hours have gone past, you know, and you had no consequence of, or, or understanding of time. You know, meditation is not dissimilar to these kind of flow states. It's where you allow your thinking mind to slow down and go offline. And then you get into this really creative space. And that's where you can put in positive thoughts and positive ideas and positive realizations. And one thing Joe Dispenza is very focused on, I certainly don't want to um, be accused of, of teaching his work because he's so much better at it than anybody I know. So I highly recommend anyone interested to actually go and have a look. But essentially what he's saying is that you can actually get to a point if you think about the future that you want of sort of almost programming your mind to remember its future. So if we sort of think of this idea that you're laying down new neural pathways, you can also lay down the neural pathways of what you would want your future to be like. And again, that's very much a question of doing this regularly and associated with a very positive, high emotional state because the more emotion you put into a thought, the more likely it is to be laid down and stored in the brain. Yeah, there's one actually that I'll link to as well in the show notes of Joe Dispenza one that I do, because I know a lot of people find that his work's quite long and maybe they don't for their time, but there's a morning and an evening one that he does. Right. Only just over 20 minutes. Exactly. Um, They're fabulous. Yeah, and he Mm -hmm. talks exactly of that. And you create the new self. And then you also decide who you no longer want to be. Because as you say, that's the synaptic pruning. It's very important to leave behind that and then create this new sense of self. So you say that the affirmations are more available to you, if you like, at that point when you've gone into that more creative state and you're more suggestible. Exactly. 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 What about hypnosis? Can people use this? Because I know you can download online hypnosis. How effective is that compared to being with someone? Um, How do you mean by being with someone? So if you went actually to see a hypnotist yourself, um, you feel, you know, you're with them, they're present, the energy is there. Um, what about actually downloading a hypnosis uh, and trying to sort you of can, self-hypnotize you that? Can do, you can do self-hypnosis. I mean, essentially, a guided meditation is a self-hypnosis. It's exactly the same process, if one okay. is honest. You're kind of getting into that state where, you're, you know, you go inwards, you're cutting down external stimuli, so you're closing your eyes, you're being quiet. And you're actually getting to the point where you can slow down the brainwave to get out of this beta brainwave pattern, which is our normal everyday kind of rush around, do stuff brainwave pattern. And you can slip into alpha and alpha is already um, a hypnotic state. It's, it's that kind of slightly playful daydreaming state that we've been talking about. Excuse me, I have to cough. <clears throat> it's not coronavirus. <laughs> um, and um The advantage of going to see a therapist is that a therapist is capable of guiding that process for you. So if you are with a a hypnotherapist and you actively have a problem, uh, I think this is particularly true, for example, when you're dealing with anything that's to do with trauma, um, is that sometimes, you know, the possibility exists that stuff's going to come up that could be painful and could potentially re-traumatize. And if you're with an experienced therapist, they can, they can see that, they can catch it, and they can definitely guide you into a place where you can either effectively deal with that. I mean, there's a lot of shadow work, for example, that's very actively done in a hypnotic state because it's super effective. What does shadow work mean? Shadow 
work is is a term that was coined by by Carl Jung, which is where you kind of essentially go in and you confront all of the things that you don't normally want to deal with in your own mind. So they are your your fears, your traumas, your negative impressions about yourself, sometimes even the positive things. Sometimes people are scared and frightened of really shining and being who they really, really are because their programming was, whoa, turn it down. You know, it's not good to be too clever, too smart, whatever. And sometimes, you know, we need to kind of go in and work on that stuff and clear it all out so that we can release trauma. Traumas are kind of a separate, a separate field by itself. To mm. some degree, we're all traumatized, but there's obviously kind of like grades of that. So if you're dealing with traumatic experiences, if you know that you've experienced trauma in the past, abuse or whatever, I would always recommend dealing that dealing with that with an experienced therapist because you know they will they will keep you safe and that's really what it's all about and they also have the experience to know how to guide you in the right way if you're just talking about shifting beliefs you can do a self-hypnosis it's really it's very effective and there as you said there are loads out there find what appeals to you you know a lot of this is excuse me, a lot of this is, you know, do I like the music that they're using in the background? Does this person's voice appeal to me? Find something that you feel comfortable with that you don't raise any resistance to because if there's any resistance to it, it's not really going to be very effective for you. And when you find something that you feel comfortable, take it and run with it. If it's just to change a belief, it'll be super effective. Yeah, it's very interesting. So, um, Okay, so that's interesting. That's clear in terms of how to do it. And then what's the step on? So these affirmations then are creating these new neural pathways. That in turn is presumably, particularly if you're writing down your goals as well, helping you to guide you. So Mm -hmm. for example, if you wanted weight loss and you wanted to get fitter, now with these affirmations, your brain isn't going to certainly be nudging you to go and exercise or to eat healthy or resist that food. But what about manifestation this is a kind of misunderstood area is that really just the outcome of what we've discussed of changing the beliefs of creating the affirmations the meditation what then is manifestation in terms of making these things actually happen honest answer i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) um I think it I think that also depends a lot on your own personal belief systems you know mm-hmm. do you believe there's a there's a greater power do you believe in a higher force do you believe in god do you believe in magic whatever whatever if you kind of take it right back to the scientific end of the spectrum then you know there is a law of cause and effect and we also know that there are certain parts of our mind it's called the reticular activating system that focuses on specific things so a super example of that is you just buy a red car of a particular brand and then all of a sudden you notice that everybody on the road seems to be driving exactly the same car that's because your mind has now focused its attention and so its perception actually really increases for that thing so in some ways you can say that when you start to kind of program your mind towards what you want, to making it clear what you want and how you feel about it, that you are going to be in a position where you are, first of all, relaxed and open, and secondly, much more perceptive to opportunities. Mm. And the truth of the matter is that I don't think anybody who, or most people, unless they're super magicians and skilled really have things falling out of the sky. I mean, you don't open your front door and there's the Ferrari and it wasn't there yesterday. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of manifestation does, doesn't tend to happen for most of us. Um, but what does tend to happen, for example, is that, yes, you know, you start to raise your intuition, you start to raise your perception, you start to raise your openness to things because you're making your mind relaxed and aware and primed and so you know somebody calls you up and says 
come to this meeting and you get that little feeling inside that goes, hmm, yeah, okay. Normally I wouldn't have gone, but something's telling me to go and then you'll go and then you'll meet the person who's exactly the right person to help you with that project that you want to get off mm-hmm. the ground or whatever, whatever. Or you'll just physically notice something, you know, in your environment, which you may have walked past a thousand times before. That's exactly the thing that you need, you know, it might be something in a shop window or it might be something that somebody's wearing that triggers an idea in your mind you know this is this is how i think manifestation really works i think it's it's actually putting yourself first of all in the position where you start to believe that what you want is possible secondly it puts you in a position where your mind and your and your psyche is relaxed and comfortable enough so that it's taking in new ideas and it's open and receptive when we live in anxiety and fear we are not open and receptive we're just not we just shut off everything so you have to be in that kind of open relaxed receptive state Mm. and then thirdly you're increasing your perception and your intuition and intuition is a big thing it's a big thing and that's something Mm. that you definitely get through these kind of practices it increases your inner knowing of when something is kind of right for you or when it isn't yeah sure and have you found that you think that meditation is better i mean i i certainly really like to meditate as soon pretty much as soon as i've woken up yeah I, 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 as I said before, meditation is my go-to. Uh, I do accept that different people have different ways. Um, you know, I, I have a kind of a ADHD. So, you know, for me, meditation was actually a really difficult path at the beginning and it took me a while to get into it. But once I did get into it um, and I realized the benefits of it, I wouldn't miss it for the world because I get cranky and crazy if I don't meditate every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus the fact that, you know, it does allow me to really kind of focus on on what I want and what's important as well as putting me in a good state. And I think doing it in the morning is super important because you don't want to have your mind crowded with garbage before you start. Because then stilling, you know, even though um, you can never get into a situation where you never have a thought, because if that happens, you're kind of dead and it's probably Mm -hmm. not good. But you do certainly get to a point in meditation where you can transcend that thinking mind and where that chatter slows down. And maybe for little periods of time disappears altogether. And that's so much harder to do when you've read your emails and you've checked your Twitter and you've checked this and you've checked that and you go and you sit down in a meditation and you've got a million and one things going on in your head. You, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Mm. So I always recommend meditating first thing in the morning. Don't have your phone in your room, or if you do, don't look at it. <laughs> don't check any messages. You know, try to limit your interactions, even with other people, to um, a small amount. I don't think it's unreasonable to tell your partner, you know, say something nice to me, say good morning, give me a hug, but please don't talk to me until I've done this. Mm. I think that's okay. It's practicing self-care. And actually in the long run, they'll be grateful because then you're a nice person to be around. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, I, it's funny because when I was a practicing lawyer and I, um, you know, was kind of overstretched, I probably could have done with meditation then, but I, I, I wasn't doing it. And at that point, I just a hundred percent relied on exercise and it was the endorphins. And it's been a real eye-opener for me it was very hard at first but over the last few years developing meditation practice just how powerful that is in terms of emotional regulation not reacting um even there's there's a meditation actually i've enjoyed recently i went to a mind valley event on vishen lakiani's six phase meditation mm-hmm. that's a beautiful one as well it as is to do if you've done that one and well, i've done yeah I've that, tried love, that one bless the bless the world and what i like about the end of that one is you create your perfect day at the end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's funny how powerful that is, imagining yourself going through your day and everything happening as it should do, how much more productive you are in that day and actually how much things do tend to go more to plan just because you sort of plan them out. It's it's interesting. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's a little bit about what we've already talked about, this idea of, of you know, an open mindset and, and dealing with things like stress and anxiety. If you're, if you're kind of open and aware and perceptive of what you want and you're in a calm state, you're just going to, things are going to go a lot easier for you because, you know, part of what anxiety and negativity is, is 
not actually what happens to you it's what you think might happen to you it's like 90 percent of all that catastrophizing is actually in your head you know i think isn't it um mark twain who who has that wonderful quote that's right about you know thousands of things have happened to me but only in my mind sort of thing yeah. and you know that's that's absolutely the case and so Isn't it know, something like um i've worried about a good many things or something most of which have never never happened, happened. Yeah. exactly that was that's the yeah. yeah exactly you know and and it's also you know very important even when something does happen to you it's not what happens to you it's the meaning that you attach to it that's really important and i think mm -hmm. something like meditation allows you to be in a state where you don't put bad meanings to things you don't you know you i'm sure everybody's experienced that that um phenomenon that when you you're with another person and something happens to the both of you and yet you both appear to have completely different experiences because it all depends on which kind of headspace you're in. If one's in a positive headspace, that experience could be wonderful. You know, if somebody's in a negative headspace, it could be horrible. This is sort of a little bit like, you know, the uh, the Buddhistic idea of, of surrender and, and seeing the beauty in everything. Um, it's a little bit like that when you're in a good headspace and you're calm and you've set up your day and you know what you want and you see, you know, and you're receptive and you're open, even if something negative does happen in your day, you tend not to catastrophize and you tend not to attach negative meaning to it. You can just brush it off a bit more easily. You know, yeah, a good example of that, I always say, is things like road rage. You know, if you're stuck in a traffic jam or if somebody cuts you up in front of them, don't get mad and angry. Just say, well, you know, OK, great. So I, I, first of all, I'm lucky enough to actually own a car. Secondly, oh, great. I'm in a traffic jam. I've now got 10 minutes to do that meditation. I haven't had time to do all that breathing exercise or whatever. And if somebody does do something and cuts you up, you just say, oh, that's a stressed out person. You know, I have no idea what's happening in their lives. Maybe they just had an argument with their spouse this morning. Maybe they're rushing to see somebody who's sick, you know whatever i'm just not going to take it personally you can't do that when you're all stressed up yourself you know you can only be in that good place and, and attach good meaning to the events even the negative events in your life when you're in a kind of a rest and repair state that mm. is true resilience that's what builds resilience is yeah. uh, is being able to kind of experience stress that hormetic stress that we talked about before and actually bouncing back from it and saying no that's that's not a big deal yeah absolutely um you've shared so much there before we kind of close <laughs> sorry i tend to um, ramble sometimes no, not at all. It's so much value. i'm just um yeah i'm going to link to all of this in the show notes before we close um i just want to kind of focus on one last bit because I know you did do some training um and with Marissa Peer herself I did yeah qualify as a rapid transformational therapist mm -hmm. and obviously her whole campaign is around being enough and mm -hmm. my question here would be we've looked at dissolving limiting beliefs and I guess this is one but it's maybe the hardest one for people in that when they don't feel confident in an area so how can they use these techniques or maybe another one that you're going to tell me now she says to write i am enough on your mirror but sometimes people feel that they have imposter syndrome and that when they're making that change they're getting that promotion they're moving up or they're about to do something new they're not enough to do it or they don't deserve it in some way shape or form how can they transcend that and create that new sense of self that actually they can do it, and it's within their grasp. Well, of course, um, uh, by Marissa's book <laughs> on <laughs> I Am Enough is probably a good one because she's got some fantastic um, um, hypnosis in there. I think there are even a couple of, of hypnosis downloads that, that you can make from, from the book or take from the book that allow you to kind of deal with that in a, in a subconscious state. But um, primarily it goes back to what I said before. It's, it's sort of understanding what your limiting beliefs are. Why do you not feel enough? You know, think about that. Think about where that comes from. It's, it's, you know, this, this is all part of sort of learning to kind of also emotionally regulate is, is to, is to kind of always look at the emotion. You don't, I, I don't like people by themselves to try and go back into their past and recall events because 
again, if you are somebody who has been traumatized, that can uncover something which is maybe not a good thing for you to be dealing with by yourself. But you don't need to do that in isolation. You can just focus on the emotional state. So if you find yourself suffering from imposter syndrome and you have that feeling of, oh, now I can't do this, just take the time to ask yourself why and look at like what, what's sitting below that. So, you, you know, your, your feeling is, oh, no, I, 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 I don't think that, that you know, that, that's good for me or I don't think I'll be able to achieve that. And you go, well, well, why is that? And then you may find, for example, that you have kind of like a feeling of remembering that, you know, somehow you don't feel that you're worth it or that, again, this is something that only is possible for other people, but not for people like you. Mm-hmm. And that's so a really it, common one. That's a so that really happens, common one. That happens to other people. And that often comes from family background, doesn't it? So Most definitely. Other people are rich or, no, no, no we, we were never good at, my mom used to say to me about, running oh I could never run at school so then that almost and it was an as an adult that I began to love running because as a child it was like well I don't like cross country no we don't run but I loved running when I then did it later and it's funny isn't it how that happens no that is for other people not for me exactly that's a big one that's a big one another one as well is you know um um for you know that's it's just not available to me you know that that's essentially that one another one would be for example that um i don't deserve it is huge um there's there's several sort of like underlying emotions and you need to kind of like step ladder down into those emotions maybe trying to avoid remembering specific situations, as I said, sometimes if they're, they're not seriously traumatic situations, you might recall, it might just pop up into your head all of a sudden that you suddenly see yourself as a small child and you see mum saying something to you or dad saying something to you and you go, oh, okay, so that's where that comes from. And you just keep walking down that ladder of emotions and usually you're going to get to a point where you realise that what you're actually looking at is something that made you feel insecure in your environment or that you could lose your tribe that you could dissociate or dis, you know be pushed away from those important people around you that were essential for your well-being it's a safety issue and the reason why the words i am not i am enough work is because that goes back to what we were talking about before with the reasonable affirmations if you say i'm fantastic i'm a goddess i'm a hero i'm the best thing since sliced bread your mind is going to reject that because it's not realistic. I am enough is realistic. It's not, I'm fantastic. It's, I'm enough. You know, I'm not the best. I'm not the worst. I'm good. I'm good just the way I am. And really important is to remember every single baby that comes into this world is perfect. You know, they're perfect just the way they are, whatever it is. And it's only with time that we start to think that we're not perfect. And Mm. we need to go back and reinforce that idea of self-care, of self-love, I'm actually in the process of writing an article about what is self-love because it's a word that we bandy about or a phrase. And I'm beginning to realize a lot of people, actually to a certain extent, even myself included, don't really understand what that means, (laughs) Mm. you know. Um, But that's what it's about. It's understanding that, you know, you're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. You're okay the way you are. As you are. There's a great book I read. It's a really short book um, called Love Yourself. Exactly. That's a really easy. I mean, it's it's funny. I've recommended it to people, and some people are like, "What? Love yourself. Love yourself." It it, it doesn't make. Whereas for other people, they're like, "Wow, I get it. Yeah." And it's beautifully. I like the audio version of it because he reads it beautifully. Um, Yeah, yeah, those are those are the sorts of things, you know. Exactly. So either go for a hypnosis or write this sort of stuff on your mirror, write it everywhere, read things like that, practice self-love and self-care. And again, keep it realistic. You know, yes, you can achieve great things, but sometimes you have to do that stepwise and you, you can't impose unrealistic ideas because your mind will reject them so sometimes it's also just a question of rephrasing things as i said before so especially with things like imposter syndrome you know where you feel like you don't you know 
be realistic about it. Sit down and go, well, wait a minute. You know, I've really studied this. I've put in the hours. You know, nobody else has put in as much as work in, into this project. You know, I know a friend of mine said to me once, you know, you know more about exactly what you're doing than anyone else on the planet. And that's a really important thing to remember because it's absolutely true. Mm. You know? So use that to kind of put yourself in a place where you can start to feel good about, you know, who you are and not, it's not easy. We, we all suffer, you know, we all want to be loved and accepted by our tribe. Um, that's part of our survival network, but you know, they, uh, there's an expression in German that I really like. I lived there for several years. They say, you know, we all, we all just drink water as well. You know, mm. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the truth. Yeah. 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 We all do. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all well, that. I hope you. some of some of my kind of ramblings were useful. <laughs> so very, I very love useful. this. I love this subject, and it's so huge. I could go off into a million different yeah. tangents. So <laughs> I can tell how passionate you are about it, and you share so much there. Where can people find more? I want to link to all of this. Obviously, you have the London Heal Show. Um, yeah, you're the host. That's of. that's really the best place to go. So the podcast itself is available on all podcast platforms. So um, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer. I think we've also just got onto. And um, if you want to have a look at the uh, the individual episodes and find out a bit more about them, you can go over to LondonHeal.com. That's the website and um, get on the mailing list so you don't miss an episode. And for people who like to have extended show notes um, for more detailed information so they don't have to go back and listen to episodes, we do have that service for people who subscribe. So that's the best way to get in touch. Amazing. I will link to that in all of the show notes to this episode. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. and been my absolute that. pleasure. It's been amazing to have you on the show. And Take it was care. amazing to have you on my show, people. So you can listen to Angela's words of wisdom if you come over to LondonHeal.com too. So <laughs> I can indeed. And thank you very much for having me on there. It was, it was, it was fun doing that together. It's, it's a delight. Thanks, Angela. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.